Hello everyone and welcome back to 404. In this episode I sat down with current Labour spokesperson for higher education, innovation and research and member of Shannon Aaron, Annie Hoey. In the interview we talked about Annie's journey through politics, from her time in third level education and working with the Union of Students Ireland to her election to Meath County Council and later Shannon Aaron. If you'd like to get in contact with the podcast about anything relating to this episode or even just to recommend a guest or ask a question, you can email us at johnson.business.yt at gmail.com. That's johnson.business.yt at gmail.com. Now, with the formalities out of the way, please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Perfect. Annie, thanks a million for joining me today. Uh, first of all, on your own personal level, uh, how would you describe yourself to someone who didn't know you, and how would you describe your values as a politician? Um, I suppose I'm I'm all about um, fairness and equality. I suppose that's kind of the driving force for things. And, and there's lots of discussion around the term equality. You should probably really say equity, I suppose. Mm. But um, from always from even from a very young age, um, felt uh, very frustrated when uh, people were treated unfairly um, and always got that always got got me riled up, whether it was because the boys were killing snails in the schoolyard and I felt that wasn't uh, fair and that kicked off my animal rights stuff or because in sector school I was really uh, affronted that I went to an all-girls school that we weren't allowed to bring girls to our devs and I was like what about if someone is going out with a girl? <laughs> you know like and I was you know even from that so I was always found those things so I mean I suppose that's kind of I suppose it explains who I am maybe not necessarily the, the values or the words that you want but it's all about um, fairness and, and, and opportunity for people and how people of power, how they wield that power to either make those situations better or worse for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you have a position of what, whatever it is, whether it's on a committee, in a school board, all the way up to being a government in opposition or otherwise, you need to use that to the best of your ability for whoever it is that, 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 that you feel is being disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going on from that, because you mentioned education a little bit there at the beginning, uh, talking about you obviously went to UCC and you studied a bachelor's in arts and drama and theatre and then went on to study in comparative and world literature and then you did a postgraduate in uh, in women's studies so that obviously probably comes back to your whole um, your whole interest in, you know more equality and as you said equity but what kind of really um, drew you to those subjects when you were first going to college? I suppose German theory studies because um, I was involved in youth theatre. It was the best thing I ever did in Druid Youth Theatre um, and I loved it. Um, I love um, getting that opportunity to be a variety of other people and to play um, theatre uh, while it was really tough. Um, a lot of it was about play and how to how to explore ideas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in my undergrad, I wasn't involved in anything, by the way. I just did my undergrad. I wasn't involved really in clubs and societies too much, a little mm-hmm. bit around uh, dramatic. But it was only when I went and did my postgrads that I like threw myself into getting involved in, in, in college life, if you will. <laughs> um, but definitely when I was doing drama theory studies, like, you know, performing, you know, like getting, we talked a lot about social issues through theatre and performing them and stuff. And it was, it was just such a, a brilliant subject for kind of opening up your mind to a lot of things mm-hmm. and even getting to, I'm not, uh, I wasn't hugely into performing per se. I mean, I, I did it. Um, I, you know, even getting to play with characters and look at things from other perspectives and stuff is a great, it's a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um and then I suppose, obviously, then when I did women's studies and, and world literature and stuff, then that kind of got me a little bit more focused in on the, the politics of the world, uh, particularly women's studies, where we had some really great feminist lecturers and stuff who took us through all sorts of different ideas. And this is all before 
repeal happened, the X case, the legislation for the X case finally came about during the time when I was actually doing women's studies mm-hmm. um, around um, the protection of life during pregnancy. So it was an incredible time to be a part of the women's movement, if you will. And mm-hmm. um, it was because it was such a fraught period. Um, you know, there was a lot of high tensions around finally getting that protection of life, took 20 years to get it done. So it was a really great time to be kind of um, learning about that area and uh, you know, what better year than, than when it's actually happening in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talked a little bit there about, you know, feminist thinkers and getting involved when you did your postgraduate in women's studies. But I think I read as well, uh, you were the you set up the feminist society in UCC at the time as well, wasn't it? So was that was it college more so that really got you involved in say not only the women's movement but politics in general or was it always sort of a an aspect of your life when growing up I think it was kind of always maybe a little bit in the background as I said um when I was in school I was really affronted in mm-hmm. primary school about the boys killing snails so I set up this uh, group called snail patrol where we effectively patrolled the schoolyard and and brought the snails to safety and then someone ratted us out um, we had like membership badges and stuff and like a semi-uniform is a bit of an underground resistance and then someone ratted us out and the teacher was like anyone who's in snail patrol has to um, throw away you have to effectively stand up in front of the class and didn't you know denounce snail patrol and I was like I'm not doing it and so we had an underground snail patrol movement going for a while so I mean I think this has always kind of been in me uh, this kind of uh, seeker for things but when kind of as, as happens in secondary school you kind of distract yourself a little bit with all sorts of other things to be doing and then yeah like so it was always there and then I was just really lucky UCC was a great place to to be able to throw yourself into things and I think Mm -hmm. college and university and learning are great opportunities to be able to explore things that you wouldn't have you know when would I ever get a chance to set up a feminist organization other than when I was in college you know it was a really great even though it took us years to get it set up and we kept being rejected every year because we couldn't have a single issue society um so I won't go off on a ramp uh, rampage about the frustration of that so I mean I think it was always in the background that, that UCC just gave me the tools and the opportunities to actually really explore and and the time like that's really you know people talk about education like oh they're just you know it's whatever they're just faffing around like it's a really important time to actually be able to critically engage with things and opportunities to try new things and and most people when they reflect back on their college experiences are talking about those kind of things like that's mm. how you know like Facebook came about because there's a group of friends who wants to keep in contact with each other while in college I mean mm. g- good or bad or whatever we want to say about <laughs> Facebook that's a, that's a different conversation but gentlemen you know I mean? like those were things that came about while people had that that experience and time to actually explore new ideas so it's it's um so I suppose yeah it, it was always there in me and UCC gave me the tools and the opportunities to really get stuck in mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I suppose whenever it's always talked about, um, you know, students learning to critically assess things and, you know, to start questioning the world around them. When when it comes to that, everyone sort of thinks about college as that sort of breakthrough from, you know, people who are teenagers going into adulthood and then, you know, learning different things about the political sphere and how it works and everything. But I suppose most people kind of associate that when then when, you know, going to study, say, law and then learning it through their lecturers, whether they study constitutional law and they think this is wrong and that's right and all this. But most of the time, for a lot of people, as you said, it, it goes through society life and, you know, people meeting like-minded people and then people they have no no agreements with at all or maybe the people they have never met before in their life, you know, people who aren't even in the same realm as they are. But they end up, you know, getting to understand those perspectives and then learning from it and becoming better people. So I, I wholly agree with the whole idea of that, what you just said. Um, Let's let's just move on a little bit because you uh, you were a member of USI for it was four or five years was it? 
Yeah, so I was elected to GSI for three years and then mm-hmm. would have been um, as a member organization when I was in the UCC Students Union, then I did a year there. So mm-hmm. it was a couple of years banding around both local student politics and then national student politics. Yeah, but during your time in the uh, in the USI, you, you, you subsequently became the president at one of the states as well. So that mm-hmm. must have been like... I, I wouldn't want to speak on your behalf because I don't know that much about it, but it was, I would imagine it's a monumentous task to run an entire union, for, especially for such a large group that are extremely vocal about political issues in Ireland. So what in general was, what made you want to get involved at USI to begin with? Well, I suppose I said I was in, I was in UCC Students Union, I was the, the deputy president there, and um UCC has had a very strong history with USI, particularly for the equality officer role, which is what I first went into. The uh, UCC uh, and women ended up holding the equality officer role for six years running. Um, so I don't know if it was fate or if I just happened to find myself there. But um, I suppose I just it was it was a natural fit for me. Do you know, um, as a member of the LGBT community, we knew that marriage equality was coming up, and it was a really great opportunity to be involved in that and to be, you know, I was going. To, I ended up coordinating and leading the students for marriage equality campaign and um, I knew repeal was going to be coming down the line soon after that you know and because I was the president of USI and I was a woman president the second only in like 23 years although now there's a busload of women presidents which has been great and um, you know I got to present to the citizens assembly you know so it was a really good time to be involved and it was it was the last couple of years have been very politically exciting for Ireland so it, it just made absolute sense for someone who was interested in social issues particularly social justice and and two that were very close to my own heart as, a, as I said um wanting to have that marriage equality and also as a woman wanting to be able to have control over my own body uh, there would have been nowhere else that I could have been other than uh stuck right into the student movement and I was very lucky that the timing worked out and that I yeah. got to I got to be would be a part of that yeah so you must, I suppose, in a sense, uh, giving all that, given all that experience with higher education, you were probably delighted when Labour named you their spokesperson for higher education, innovation and research. So what in that what in that position then are you hoping to sort of achieve with it? Well, I mean, I suppose that it's a new department Um, higher education has, you know, the primary and secondary education has always been the focus. So it's a great opportunity to actually get focus put onto um the higher and further education landscape. I don't think we really have had a very clear, clearly articulated vision for what a fully holistic education system in Ireland looks like, all the way from early years right to lifelong learning. So I think it's great to be a part of that narrative and to be able to put forward, certainly from a democratic socialist perspective, you know, education and what that means and access to education, um, who's in the room, who's not in the room, and all those things that just have been pushed under the rug for quite some time. Obviously, a huge issue is around funding. I've been banging this drum for the, the Castles Report was um, the very first thing I had to do with when I was president of USI, um, real baptism in fire. Um, and like that's been going on for four years now, and we still don't have anywhere on that. I think they'll have to make a decision around funding fairly soon. Mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity to to have those voices actually centralized at the table, you know, instead of competing very heavily with the primary and secondary, which which rightly so got a huge amount of focus. So I think it's, and and also to um, put forward this idea of who is in education, who isn't in in education. And I think to be fair, Simon Harris is very, strong on that who isn't in the who is in the learning spheres and who's not in the learning spheres and so I think it's a great opportunity to put forward that kind of you know as I said I'm only recently out of the student movement and so still say we and consider myself a part of it so it's great to actually be able to have that closely linked student movement perspective 
in this kind of national parliament debate around further and higher education. Mm-hmm. Continuing on, obviously, I mentioned that you were a Labour spokesperson. The question then bears, why did you choose to join Labour and when did you choose to join Labour? Everyone always asks this and it's as if and like people kind of expect like the ping, you know, <laughs> moment. But it just I kind of just always was you know, there's no um in ucc we had a really great um kind of political grouping mm-hmm. of our friends from all sorts of political backgrounds we all kind of got on very well with each other and i was always very closely aligned with the, the labor grouping mm-hmm. um and you know as someone who as i said for things like reproductive justice and marriage quality you know when um emma gilmore was president of the union of students ireland in the 70s he was calling for civil equality mm-hmm for LGBT people, do you know? So, I mean, um, and someone who the day I turned 18 joined a trade union, I just found whichever union I could join. You know, I'm very much about workers' rights, trade unions, um, equality for people. So, I mean, it just kind of, that's just kind of where I found myself. There was no uh, shizing pazam moment. It just, mm-hmm. it just, uh, it was just a fit and it's just how it worked. And, you know, I'm very lucky to have been, uh, you know, when you're in the student movement, you you don't tend, you you wouldn't be involved very politically. So I would have uh, left that behind for a while, and then was able to get involved. Then on the other side of it, it's a quite a fraught uh, position to be in if you're politically aligned, and and, and rightfully so. You do tend to to put that away because you work with all parties and none when you're in the student movement. Yeah, and, and just to continue off that, I mean no offense by it as well, because yeah, at the time during the 2011 to 2016 government, obviously. Labour and Fine Gael were, I suppose, to put it mildly, not very admired by the student body at the time because of, you know, certain bits of legislation that come in. I think I remember um, very much so the back in 2010, the protest against Eamon Gilmore for when he raised student contribution fees. But the, the, the whole, th- what I'm trying to get at is what was it then afterwards? Because obviously you had been involved at USI from 2013 onwards. After then finishing, were you kind of, did you look at Labour and say, these may not have been the crowd that were, you know, great at the time when they were in government but I see there's a good bit of change and I want to get involved now or what was the whole sort of story behind that? Yeah, well I can tell you I was outside Leinster House as well um, <laughs> protesting and giving it socks um, but I also you know I think you can also look at the, the history of a party and Neve Brannock um, was the Minister for Education in the 90s and I'm an enormous fan of hers mm-hmm. and she she actually came down to UCC during her student union training and oh, and spoke um, to us about education and the value of education. I remember just really being struck by her and she was really encouraging me. And at no point at this, by the way, had indication I was going to ever run for politics or that I was even going to go beyond UCC Students Union. And she was so encouraging to me. And I just always think that if there are some really good people and if that's the um, the ethos that um, a party can espouse, you know, Jed Nash, um, Jed Nash, when he was minister, increased the minimum wage. Like, you know, stuff like that, that I think um, is really important. Like, you know, when there was cuts going left, right and centre, uh, the first thing they did was to increase the minimum wage and to begin the campaign towards a living wage. Mm-hmm. And he very much brought in the student movement and very much made sure that our voice and opinions as people who, re- who represented, obviously, a lot of people who would have been working on minimum wage, you know, so there was opportunities there to be involved in really important issues. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, as I said, kind of post uh, the student movement, um, you kind of look around and you see whose values align with you. And, and, and as I said, I'm, I'm about workers' rights. I'm about marriage, you know, social justice issues. Um, and that's where I found myself aligning. And I think that you can recognise sometimes not everything goes right. And it's very easy to 
uh, throw hurl from the ditch when you're not the ones that are in government. It's very easy to hurl from the ditch when I wasn't in the room. Um, but uh, I like to think that I'm kind of in the room now. Well, certainly an opposition point of view, and someday could be in the room. And I want to make sure that I that you know I'm part of a party that will do the best that we can with with good values and honest politics. And that's where I found myself then, the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously now you're a member of Shannon Darren and you ran for local elections back in 2019 and then also in 2020 you ran for the general election and I've, I've met a few people at this stage who've ran for the general election and then ran for the Shannon after and I think to myself how do people like this keep going like because honestly the running for Shannon election especially on the vocational panels seem like an absolute trek to be honest because you have to contact all the councillors you have to contact members of the incoming doll the outgoing Shannon it seems very bizarre and always just a strange system to work your head around but how would you describe maybe the differences in running for the Shannon as opposed to say local or you know the doll? Yeah I mean I've had a really interesting election like in the last um, seven years I've ran in nine elections um, because USI is a national election as well it's between and it's also Northern Ireland and the Republic it's an all-Ireland election and I did mm-hmm. that three times as well and um, so there's a, a lot of elections in my past in the last few years so I'm fully electioned out at this moment in time I mean the locals was a really I only threw my name in the hat four weeks beforehand like this real annoying pipsqueak that came along at the very last minute and swooped in and took a seat uh, I mean I would be deeply frustrated at me as well um the locals was a really enjoyable election actually it was May it was April it was real fun it was my first kind of time dipping into this kind of election it was very positive and then the general election was just like it was February it was miserable it was awful I don't know anyone who enjoyed the general election in 2020 and then the Shannon is just this absolute I don't I still don't to this day quite understand how the Shannon election works it is just this chaotic horse trading bunkers you're driving up boreens trying to find someone who might give you a vote wink wink it's it's absolutely bananas utterly bonkers I remember I spent an entire day driving around a county and not a single soul was home like it's a really difficult um campaign it's a very lonely campaign um yeah the Shannon is it is it is not for the faint-hearted it is Mm -hmm. that is a really difficult campaign and then obviously halfway through the Shannon campaign we had to call off in-person cam campaigning which you know the pros and cons to that I'll tell you that much (laughs) and because the, the virus began to spread so then it became a phone call banana situation where my phone was ringing because I was also a counsellor but then I was ringing other people and the phone was just effectively nearly on fire in my pocket um so the Shannon election is a it is a very difficult election it was um it was really hard there's no no other way to put it well speaking with the the voting aspect of the Shannon elections anyways because I think um officially it's 1130 eligible votes there are obviously as I mentioned from the at least for your panel, the agriculture panel and all the other vocational panels. So that would include, you know, members of the if the current incoming Dáil, um, the outgoing Shannon and then county and city councillors, as I mentioned. Can you kind of, I, I suppose it's it's difficult in its own sense, I think, for anyone to try and explain, but at least to the best of your ability, can you explain kind of how it works? Because on paper, you know, it says, anyhow, we got 94,000 votes, but you're thinking 94,000 people didn't vote. So how does it work now? Because it's not very much like preferential voting. There's some weird mathematics that goes into it with second and third preferences and whatnot. There is, and I'm I'm not as au fait with it. There are some real geniuses behind the scenes who know how these things work. Yeah, so eventually they transfer to every vote and counts for a thousand votes. Mm -hmm. So that's how you end up then in the 
the tens of thousands, uh, which makes sense because once you start getting down into the, it becomes all about fractions. So there are people who did not get elected by one tenth of a vote. Mm. So that's not even one person's whole vote. It's 200 out of the thousand. It's, it's, it is a really complicated, I will say it is a really complicated system. Mm. And there's these things called packages that kind of start coming in at the end. Parcels, packages, I can't remember what they're called. I remember watching it <laughs> on the screen being like, what is, what is this? What is, what's happening? <laughs> you know, like we were trying to follow it and we were just like, I was like, what's a, now you know so it's, it is extremely complicated there is no point in me even like trying to but that's how you end up with the thousands is that it's for every vote out of the whatever thousand amount just over a thousand people vote each of their one votes transfer to a thousand votes that's how you then end up with you know into the ninety thousand of votes and it's to allow for then when the the transfers start happening for it to be mathematically possible as opposed to ending up with all sorts of crazy decibel places um happening i think they designed it to try and make it easier to transfer the votes but uh i don't know i'm sitting there looking at it being like this is this is a complicated system it, it is it is very difficult to understand that there's a whole i'd say a whole lecture someone could do on 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 how the transfers work but it is it, the, the reason it's moved into the thousands is to allow for the, the the transfers to go down the line one one thing we've heard um with the Shannon recently and the Shannon I think has been the busiest it's ever been since Shannon because they have to rush through so many bills and legislation with regards to COVID-19 but out, outside of all that chaos and all the bills running through there I, I keep seeing the word reform for the Shannon coming up again and again and mm-hmm. I know Malcolm Byrne has been talking about it quite a bit um, from the government perspective and he I think recently there was a bill put through uh, that it would allow anyone who received a higher education to vote in the Shannon as opposed to say the NUI graduates and the Trinity graduates mm-hmm. and and obviously I uh, I like a lot of people who aren't currently in an NUI college would see that as a great opportunity to to mm-hmm. make my voice heard in the Shannon but on on the current stage of the Shannon is it is it fine as it is or is there still a lot of work to go to make it more inclusive for people because there is that sort of you know you can't vote in it if you don't go to a higher education and then there's also the big debacle with the Taoiseach's 11 nominees which seems wholly undemocratic when you think about it so like there's a lot of people excluded from that process so what's the work around to that would you say? Yeah I mean and and, and there is this uh, there is a Shannon reform bill that has been that was worked through in the last um, Shannon like the to change the Taoiseach's nominees that requires a referendum Mm-hmm. constitutional referendum and um, but there is a, a piece of legislation which will look at expanding the franchise that will not require a referendum so the the teachers nominees would remain as they are because that's a constitutionally thing but then there would be other it would give um universal franchise to everyone so effectively and um, you decide which panel you want to vote on and you register yourself to vote on that panel mm-hmm. so you could be like well i feel like i'm most ag- uh, aligned to the culture panel so i'm going to register to vote in the culture panel and then you'll get a vote on that one and you pick which panel you 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 decide you align with most. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, one of the proposals and then around the universal franchise for higher and further education. But I mean, even in terms of the kind of work the Shannon does in and of itself, that needs to be looked at as well. I think like it's supposed to be legislative scrutiny. Like that's the whole point of the upper houses to have two different houses so that something just doesn't get pushed through into one and then it suddenly becomes law. Do you know, and I think it is good and important to have the two bodies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I certainly have found that it is quite um stagnated you know you're given six minutes and that's it like that's the that is the level of debate you kind of get now six minutes to discuss something i i actually had to ask someone how a normal bill works going through the shannon because my only understanding of bills currently in the shannon is that we do an entire bill in a matter of hours Mm. so when someone's like oh the 
the second stage is going to happen. I was like, I'm sorry, I have no idea what that means. Does that mean tomorrow? Then we'll go through it again. Or they're like, no, it takes ages. And I was like, oh, okay. Because my only understanding of it is that we hurtle through every single piece of legislation at the speed of light because it's all an emergency, except for things like, of course, sick pay. You know, mm-hmm. Heaven forbid that that would be considered an emergency during a, a global pandemic. <laughs> why, why would we in a million years, you know, anyway. So yeah, it's, um, I think even internally and in, in the workings and stuff, it's, it's very managed it's very coordinated there's not a lot of space for quite free debate and I think debate is important in a democracy and when you start locking that stuff down and, and I raised that a couple of times in the standard that I was like not allowing debate on these issues and not allowing debate on amendments is not allowing democracy to flourish mm-hmm. yeah no and I think in general there was the whole discussion um back when the time when the Shannon was up for debate about whether it should be abolished or not, which, you know, we won't get into too much detail now that the current leader of the Shannon is one who, you know, campaigned for its abolition. But at the same stage, though, I think that showed in a lot of respects that people want reform for the Shannon. I think the mm-hmm. consensus amongst a lot of people was if they were voting to keep it, you know, it needs to change. And it, it is, it's, it's an interesting body in that I, I always find it when, whenever you tune into like Shannon Aaron as opposed to the doll, I always find it's the more colourful of the two uh, houses of parliament because you, you'll have someone who maybe you've never heard of before talk about something like, I remember the first day I tuned into the Shannon, they were electing uh, Mark Daly for Cahirlock. And I just, uh, I was enthralled by uh, David Norris that day. I just think he's an absolute saint whenever you see him speaking. Um, but like, it's just, the, I, I'm sorry, maybe I'm gushing a little bit here now for another senator, but like <laughs> at the same time, like it, it does open uh, I think to a lot of people in a sense and specifically the Taoiseach's nominees were meant to fill that void to give voices to people in communities you know who weren't mm-hmm. represented at all level like we have the example of Eileen Flynn now who's mm-hmm. now representing the traveling community and before in the previous standard we had Ian Marshall who represented the unionist community mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people were disappointed to see he didn't return to the Shannon uh, even people from mm-hmm. Sinn Féin as well you know so bridging that gap between nationalists and unionists would have been a huge call for the Taoiseach to make. Do you think in a sense that uh, I know it probably was like this from its conception, but the Taoiseach's nominations in general kind of, they're not used for what the initial purpose of them was, you know, to give people that extra voice. It's almost sort of a stage, you know, bolster the government's position within the Shannon now, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I think particularly this time, and I, and I think it was a lot to do with the fact that um, both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael had done very poorly in terms of women's representation. Mm-hmm. They needed to get women into the Shannon to try and deal with that. Um, I mean, in the Shannon, the government has a thumping majority. They've got 40 seats mm. and then the opposition is 20. Do you know, like there was probably no need for them to absorb all of the 11? Yeah. Do you know, like Eileen Flynn was the agreed shared one and then they took the rest themselves. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like they still would have had a thumping majority, you know, so it was a little bit disappointing to see that. Um, you know, and, and it happens like... You, there has in, in previous, you know, like the last time, um, to be fair, Michal Martin had quite a cross um, sectoral grouping of people nominated, you know, like Clef Kelleher, mm-hmm. um, Joan Freeman, you know, it, it seemed a little less politically driven the last time, yeah. whereas this time it was very, very, very much um, we're going to pop in our party people, um, a sibling of someone in a party, um, Catherine Martin's brother went in, um, you know, so that was, it, it was, I certainly think much, it, it was explicitly non um, putting in just the average representative person outside of Eileen Flynn. I think that was really disappointing because it is a great opportunity, as I said, the last government Michael Martin's nominees when they kind of did the competence supply he put in people for you know, for mental health and stuff mm-hmm. like that so it was a real shame that, that that didn't happen this time yeah um 
I suppose I'm on to my second last question now, which it feels like it's flown mm-hmm. by at this stage, but uh, <laughs> I know you're extremely busy, so I won't keep you too long. Um, you've obviously still got a long career to go within the political sphere. I think it's safe to say uh, you said you've ran for over seven elections in the last uh, last few years. So like, I think there's no stopping now. Um, but what would you, if you had to pick a, a point now, currently up until your time now, what would you say was your proudest moment? Um, in being involved in things or being involved in the student movement and the political sphere in general what would you say was your proudest moment throughout that time um I suppose one of and it's probably a silly one when I was president of USI we held a huge student demo it was the first time we had I think it was about 12,000 people at it it was really 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 big we hadn't had a demo that big in a number of years um and my proudest thing was that my dad came up to see it and he was on the stage just watching from the sideline um and my speech blew away it blew off the podium fortunately I have a degree in theatre and acting and I remember I just turned around and I saw my dad and I was like okay I'm just gonna have to kind of do something here and I got to bring my dad out onto the stage in front of 12,000 people and say that because of this man I had an opportunity um to be here like you know my dad we did not have a lot of money growing up we it was there was not (laughs) money around the place um and my dad and my mom um, made sure that if I wanted to access education, that that was what I got to do. And um, my mom went back at the Open University. She got to go to college when I was in secondary school. She went to DCU, the Open University. Mm-hmm. And it was a really, my proudest moment was getting to bring him out and talk about that this is the, because, you know, at these student things, it's always, it's all about us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in college, we want this, we want that, we want the other. And I just really, um, that was my proudest moment was actually getting to, show 12,000 people that all of us have someone, whether it's ourselves, a friend, a parent, a guardian, a neighbor, there's someone with us on this journey. Um, and I just, it was, it was, it was a really great moment. And, and I remember like the crowd are like chanting, like, great, 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 great. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and like, you know, there's lots of other things I talk about, like the, you know, presenting the citizens assembly, getting elected, winning a seat back for labor and, and Meath County Council, but from a very personal perspective, mm-hmm. getting to um, show the student movement and the person who made who I am, you know, who, who, the only reason I was there, the only reason we were there, the only reason we were getting pushing against feet is because this person believed in me my whole life. And um, so that was definitely just a really special moment because you don't often get to show off. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes you're special people to the world. Um, and that was definitely my proudest moment. Yeah, that's amazing. I've never heard anyone answer that question so well before. So that was a really good answer. <laughs> um, my final question now, and again, I, I hate this question because it always makes it sound like uh, I'm threatened to kill you or something, because it's like uh, when you're gone, how would you like to be remembered? But obviously, you know, there's still a long way to go. But if you had to maybe sort of think ahead now and think about, you know, you've retired, your career's over, or maybe it's 100, 150 years down the line and people are like, oh, that Annie Hoey, what, uh, what does she do? How would you like people to remember you by? Um, I think like the answer you're supposed to give for this is like, oh, I did this big piece of legislation or I changed this big bill. Um, but I always think you remember how people make you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, you know, and, and I still get people contacting me either from that that demo about talking about how um, that made them feel and that 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 opportunity or like people from Pink Training get in touch a few years later and said that, you know, you made me feel seen and that I was a valued person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I try when I speak in the Shannon, when I raise issues, whether it's about trans rights or LGBT issues or women's rights, that people for whom that affected feel seen 
Yeah. So there isn't, you know, this is probably a very sappy answer, but it isn't, you know, I mean, there's lots of, I would love to, you know, bring in public funded education. I'd love to do all of these things. But I think if I can make people for whom they don't feel that they're being listened to or that their issues are ever getting a space, you know, like there aren't a lot of people who talk about trans issues in the Shannon and I get an enormous amount of vitriol for that. There aren't an enormous amount of people who are talking about, you know, women and misogyny and stuff that's still happening you know and so if I can if someone looks back and says god she she spoke truth to power and she spoke about something that really deeply affected me and um, that is much more what I would rather be remembered for than you know sweeping dramatic legislation although I hope I get to do that too I hope I do get to bring in bills and laws that do make a difference to people's lives but I think um I certainly would hope that I would be remembered for speaking with honesty around issues that are affecting people and that that they feel that they are being heard and seen because I know what it's like to feel like you're not being heard and seen so I hope that I can champion some of those issues and and that someone someday will remember down the line that 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 they were valued that they were important and what they were feeling was was real uh, and that someone had heard them that's fantastic Annie Howie thank you so much for taking the time out today no problem thank you so much for having me